Yeah, during lunch, I changed my message three different times for this evening. <laughs> then I thought, I, I better leave that to your pastor to take care of, and let me just preach what God gave me to preach, but did have a good time at lunch today, and thank you, church, for that gift. Um, uh, literally, that's... Uh, uh, now we're just lacking $1,000 of what we needed for that 50000 that we are raising. So thank you so much for, uh, for your part in that. And, uh, and uh, we look forward to getting started on that. Really, the, the situation with the virus, because of all that's happening in Africa, has put us behind schedule of where we wanted to be. Um, as far as uh, starting the building project, uh, they closed the government offices so we can't get the permits. Um, and uh, we were supposed to have several training sessions with translators and, and that type of thing and teaching on proper methods of translation and that that haven't been able to happen. So we're praying that uh, towards the end of this year that uh, some of those things can take place. Turn your Bibles this evening, book of First Samuel chapter 17, and we will get over there in just a few moments. Um, as uh, we watched the video this morning, I mentioned to you that there are several things in the video that uh, weren't, or excuse me, that were not in the video that uh, I wanted to mention and have you pray for. The first item was the Swahili translation project, uh, which I mentioned this morning. But a, a second thing um, that I want to mention this evening that we, we really covet your prayers about, just an amazing opportunity that God has given us. In the video, we mentioned about our desire uh, to go into South Sudan. South Sudan is the newest country in the world. Um, once they received their independence, just within a year from that, uh, they went into a civil war that's been ongoing, and it still continues today, which has made it difficult to get into that country for any length of time. I've made some trips into South Sudan, along with several in our church. We have a family that uh, is ready to go to South Sudan, members of our church, trained. They have their support raised already. They are ready to go. Um, but again, with the volatility there in that country, it's been difficult. Um, but uh, as we've been praying about that and trying to find out exactly the Lord's uh, uh, specific will, uh, he uh, began leading us and showing us uh, an area that in Kenya that sits on the border with South Sudan. And what is going to happen, this family, Lord willing, at the end of this year or the beginning of next year, will be moving up right near the border of South Sudan. And it's an area where, relatively, compared to some of the other parts of the country, there's been not, uh, not much trouble. And they'll begin able to work across the border in South Sudan while living in Kenya uh, and working in that area. So that uh, is, is a great opportunity. But secondly, along with that, that area of Kenya, in that area of Kenya, sits the largest refugee camp in East Africa called Kakuma Refugee Camp. Uh, really, it's a combination. It's seven or eight refugee camps that have grown so large into one refugee camp. And there are tens of thousands of refugees in that camp from the following countries. Uh, Somalia, Ethiopia, South Sudan, Northern Sudan, which is Islamic, uh, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, Congo, uh, a number of other African countries. Uh, each camp is set up in a way where it's, you go into that area of the camp and you'll find tens of thousands of people from a specific country. For example, you go to one part of the camp and it's Somalian, uh, just completely Somalian. I mean, culturally-wise, language-wise, everything. If you know about Somalia, you know that it's 100% Islamic. You, you cannot go into Somalia and preach the gospel. Uh, the Al-Shabaab terrorists come out of Somalia. You may have heard about the pirates that go out in the Indian Ocean from Somalia. And because that refugee camp sits there, it's going to allow us not only to begin working across the border in South Sudan, but at the same time begin working in that refugee camp amongst those distinct people groups. We've already made some contacts in those camps with uh, some Ethiopian men who come from a Baptist background in Ethiopia, and we've actually already begun training them in our Bible college. And uh, just the, the amazing opportunities in that camp uh, uh, to reach those different people groups. Many of those countries I mentioned in the video this morning, 
And uh, Lord willing, I mean, imagine if we could see somebody saved from Somalia in that camp and, and train them and be able to reach back into Somalia. Just a wonderful opportunity. Thirdly, though, along with those two things, also in that area of Kenya sits one of the largest uh, unreached tribes uh, in Kenya, the Turkana tribe. There's over one million Turkana. They're known as the Lost Tribe of Kenya because it's an area of Kenya where people don't like to visit, uh, nor do they want to live. Uh, the Turkana region, and the region that I'm speaking about, is in the desert. Uh, the average temperature is over 100 degrees daily, and uh, the climate is very, very harsh for living. It's one of the harshest climates in the world where there's a larger population of people, uh, the Turkana tribe. The Turkana tribe live much like we would think of Africans living before uh, colonial times, before the modern world came to Africa. They're the one tribe in Kenya that still dresses like they always dressed. They still dress with partial nudity. Um, you'll find no other tribe in Kenya that does that. Uh, most Kenyans, if you went to, to visit, you'd find that they dress just like you do and like I do. You probably saw that on the video this morning, but not the Turkana people. They practice such uh, cultural practices like uh, body scarring, where they will take hot irons and scar their bodies on purpose, believing it's a beautification thing. They will put big holes in their lips and ears and cheeks and wear bones and those types of things in them to this day. Women will walk around with necklaces that begin about right here and go up to about right here. And they just walk around like this, their neck stretched all day, every day, sleep with them. Uh, they believe it's a beautification thing. They practice a lot of blood, drinking of blood. They're very animistic in their, in their culture and their practices. And because of all these things that I mentioned, not a lot of gospel work has been done amongst them. But this tribe is the tribe in that area of people. So literally at the same time, we're going to be able to have three distinct ministries and areas that hardly anything is being done when it comes to gospel preaching. This family is ready to go. They're members of our church. They've been trained. This is not just something where we, our ministry is set up. We just don't send somebody and say, okay, good luck. We'll be praying for you. Our church, we set up the way when we send somebody, we, we are actively involved. We go with them. We send people with them. We serve with them. And so uh, it's just an amazing thing that God is going to allow us to do. But again, something like this, you know Satan's, not for it. And uh, we do need your prayers on, on this. Uh, there certainly is a, 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 it's a, it's not the safest area to live in. And uh, so uh, protections will be needed, but also uh, to reach a people group that, uh, uh, that are so needed to be reached like the ones that we mentioned. So if you pray for that, along with uh, the Bible translation, the other things that you saw in the video uh, this morning, that certainly would be greatly appreciated. 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you'd stand please, begin reading in verse number 20, and we'll read down through verse number 29, and after I finished reading, you can be seated. After I finish reading, I'll pray, and then you can be seated. 1 Samuel 17, verse 20, David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight, and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hands of the keeper of the carriage, and ran into the army, and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely defy Israel as he come up. And it shall be that the man that, who killeth him, and the king who enrich him with great riches, and who will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. 
David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride, the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mayest see see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Let us pray. Father, we certainly are thankful for the day that you've given to us. Lord, thank you. Lord, that has already been mentioned, that we have the freedom and the liberty to meet here this evening. Lord, I pray that you'd help us not to take that for granted. Lord, as we look at this scripture and consider this story of David and this question that he asked, I pray that you would help the application to be made to our hearts and lives and in the area of missions. Lord, bless us now all these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Our text finds both Israel and the Philistine armies in a well-fortified position, separated by a ravine called the Valley of Elah. On the north side of the valley of the ravine is Israel. On the south side is the Philistines. Whichever army makes the first move, they're going to have to leave the protection of where they have bunkered themselves down and go out into the open. Probably the first one to make a move would be the one that would lose. So they're at a stalemate, looking at each other. And after some time, a giant by the name of Goliath came down, and he stood in the middle of the valley. And he said, hey, why should we all fight each other and kill each other? Why should army fight against army and many die? I'll tell you what, I have an idea. I'll take anybody from your army and I'll fight him. Both armies can watch. If I win, then you'll be our servants and follow us. And if you win, if your man wins, we'll be your servants and follow you. For 40 consecutive days, he had gone down into that valley and he had made that challenge. Apparently, as time went by, his words became more harsh and insulting. Until it comes to where he's saying the words, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. What, in essence, what Goliath is saying is, don't we have any men amongst you soldiers? Are you all little scared boys? Is there nobody brave enough to take up a sword and fight one Philistine? David was probably considered too young to fight in the army. His father had not sent him with the brothers when they went to fight. But he did send David with some food, some bread, and some parched corn. Just as David got there with that food, here comes Goliath. The 40th of the 40 consecutive days, he comes out and he speaks those same words. I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight with him. Verse 24, we read, tells us the response of the army of Israel. When they saw Goliath, they fled from him and were sore afraid. The way David saw it was Goliath had defied not just Israel, but he had defied the armies of the living God. The solution seemed simple to David. Kill the giant, just as he had killed the lion and the bear when his father's flock was threatened. You see, David saw things not in a blurry gray, but in a black and white. He was not distracted by the irrelevant details He understood that this was God's fight, and he was on God's side. Therefore, he would jump up with the skills and the determination that God had given him and trust God to take care of him. After hearing 
what David had said, the king sent him to fight the giant. Of course, we know the story. David slew the giant. And what was one of the most glorious victories in Israel's long history. And David went on to become Israel's greatest king. But as David was questioning the events and asking why no one in Israel would stand up to this Philistine that was defying God, he was rebuked by his elder brother. His motives were questioned. David then asked the question, a question that might be one of the most famous questions in all the Word of God. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 29, that question that David asked, in reality, is a question that needs to be asked by every one of us today. See, David found himself in the midst of soldiers who were paralyzed by inaction. When he voiced his concern, he found himself actively opposed by the members of his own family. However, that question needs to be our question today. See, it was David's question that was relevant for that time, but it's just as relevant for us today. In this day of spiritual compromise and lethargy, in this careless day of selfish pursuits, is there not a cause? That question, asked 3,000 years ago, was a rhetorical question. It was a question that wasn't really a question. It was a question that was really a statement, a challenge, a place to stand where everybody else was running. That same is true today. Is there not a cause? Not a question, but a statement, a challenge, a call to arms for every Christian today. When David said, asked that rhetorical question, is, that not, is there not a cause, what he was saying was, Israel, is there not a reason to act? Don't you have a motive to stand before this giant and fight him? In my years of being saved, I've heard many sermons preached from this portion of Scripture and from that question, is there not a cause? But rarely do I ever hear anybody preach about the cause that David was speaking about. They'll use that phrase and talk about, you know, causes for the youth ministry and causes for the bus ministry, and all those things are important. But it has absolutely nothing to do with what David was talking about. He asks, why are you not fighting Goliath? Is there not a cause? You read in verse 30, he went one by one. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Do you not see the reason? Aren't you, don't you have the motive? Don't you know the motive to fight this giant? One by one, he went and he asked those questions, that question. When King Saul agreed to allow David to fight Goliath, and David was fighting Goliath, he revealed the motive for the cause. He revealed his motivation for fighting Goliath. In verse 46, David answers that question of what the cause is. Look in verse 46. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. Now he's speaking to Goliath here. And I will smite thee and take thy head from thee and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air into the wild beasts of the earth. Get it. here's Here's the cause right here. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. It It has always been God's desire for the world to know that there is a God. From the time of creation to the time of now, in this present day, It has always been God's desire that the world know about him. David then turns his words in verse 47 to the assembly, to the nation of Israel, 
Look what he says in verse 47. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spears, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David, as he reveals what that cause was to Goliath and to the nation of Israel, he said, the cause that I'm speaking about, the motive that I have, is simply this, that the world know that there is a God in Israel. That was the cause. That was, of, that was, that was David's motive, to fight Goliath. Well, five times in the New Testament, God has told the assembly, the church, to proclaim his name to the world. Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 16, Luke chapter 24, John chapter 20, Acts chapter 1. Five distinct places where God tells the present day assembly, his local body. In essence, he says to us today, is there not a cause? Do you not have a reason? Do you not have a motive, church, He says, my desire is for the world to know that Jesus Christ lives. Now, David, let's notice some things from this story of David fighting Goliath. Notice that David was awakened to the need of the cause. Now, what was the cause? That the world know that there's a God in Israel. But he was awakened to the need of that cause. The need was that there was no volunteers. The world needed to know, but there was nobody willing to step up and do what needed to be done for the world to know. That was the need. He realized, David realized, the need was not about God because he said and knew that the battle was the Lord's. He knew that God would give the victory. He knew God wanted his name proclaimed to the world. David understood these things, but he is wakened to the fact that if he did not do it, it wasn't going to get done. The problem was never God. The problem was with the volunteers. David knew that no one else was going to volunteer, so he stepped up and volunteered. But today, you and I must also be awakened to the need of the cause. Is that not what Jesus said in the New Testament? His one prayer request, pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. We have the same problem today. Volunteers. To get the job done. So we must be awakened to the need of the cause, and what does this cause need today? The cause needs the volunteers. The cause needs you. It needs me. It needs us to step up wherever we are and join the battle. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says, Awake the righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Uh, listen, what, 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 what truth in that verse. 2 Corinthians 8, 5, And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Have you been awakened to the need that exists in this world today? Have you been awakened to the need that exists in our country today? In your community today? We spoke this morning about spiritual famine. Spiritual famine is a worldwide phenomenon. It exists all over the world. Have you been awakened to that need? What God needs, God needs volunteers. He will give the victory. He has promised to do that. Sometimes things have to come to our life to wake us up to the need around us. Mentioned just a few moments ago at the beginning of the message about South Sudan. And I can remember when the Lord really, really got a hold of my heart about that country. We had some students in our school that we have, our Christian school, some refugees from South Sudan that had come into Kenya. And many times these refugees uh, will try to go to schools in Kenya, to boarding schools, and, and get sponsored into those schools. And we had accepted a few students from South Sudan into our school. 
It was in July of the year 2011. I, I believe the date was the 9th of July when South Sudan received their independence from the north, who they had been fighting for decades, the, the Islamic north, and they were declared a, a, a new nation. So there was a celebration amongst the South Sudanese people, and those students that were in our school, they were happy and celebrating, and we uh, threw a little uh, a party for them to celebrate the birth of a new country. And in the midst of having this party, I wanted to take a picture of these South Sudanese students with myself that we had in our school. Now, these students that we have, although they're in primary school, uh, some of them are a little bit older than a normal primary age because uh, of the trouble in South Sudan. But this tribal group of people that are in our schools among South Sudan, they're very tall people. And so we had some South Sudanese students, although they were early teenage years, they were much taller than I was. You have to look up at them. And there was a certain young man by the name of Awok. As we were trying to take his picture, every time we'd try to take his picture, he'd turn his head. And he'd cover his face. And then he would get irate and upset and wanting to fight because we're trying to take his picture. Now, of course, myself, I'm thinking this boy's just being rebellious. I mean, how unthankful he is. I mean, we're throwing a party and we're doing all this and we just want to take his picture and he's acting this way. And now, in, 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 in schools in Kenya, we still cane. That's what we call it, spanking, caning, all right? And, uh, and, and so I, I told uh, one of our teachers, who happened to be a teacher in training, from a, a South Sudanese man, he was there helping with the South Sudanese, I, I told him, I said, you need to take this boy over here. He needs cane. He ought not to be acting like that. And the teacher, he said, uh, Pastor Mickey, he said, can I talk to you privately for a moment? I said, sure. And we walked in. I said, what's the matter with this boy acting that way? He ought to be thankful and all that. He said, Pastor Mickey, he says, yeah, yeah, you're right. I understand that. He says, but there's something you need to know about him. He said, you see, when he was young, he's always been a big boy. He said, they came into his village and they kidnapped him and they, they forced him into, this, into the army. They made him a child soldier. They put a gun in his hand. They took him off into the battle. And one of the things they do to these child soldiers at the very beginning, is they, they teach them and train them how to kill. They must know how to do that, and they put that gun in their hand. They go to some place, and they, they, they get somebody that's feeble or, 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 or weak, and they, and they make them kill those people to get them attuned to killing and murdering. He said, and they did this to this boy. He's haunted. He said, I'm with him at night in the dormitory, hearing him waking up and screaming, of the haunting uh, uh, scenes that is going on over and over in our mind. And he says, and, and the problem is, he says, is when you're trying to take his picture, he said, all of that comes back because uh, uh, those child soldiers many times would be, uh, 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 be used uh, uh, by media and different things and different organizations uh, uh, with their pictures. And so he's very much against that. That's why he's acting like that. He said, Pastor Mickey, he says, what South Sudan needs is they need people who will go there and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And oh my, how terrible I felt now. <laughs> I mean, here I wanted to, this boy to be spanked because of rebelling and all of this, and I had no idea of the background and what he was going through. And God had to wake me up to that need to understand. And that's what we need sometimes, is we need to be willing to, to, for God to wake us up to the need around us. Man, I'm sure there's areas of your town that you can go to and you can walk through and allow your eyes to affect your heart, to wake up. That, isn't that what the Bible says? My eyes have affected my heart. And sometimes we see what's going on in our country and we watch the news and we hear about this and we hear about that and we flippantly say, you know, those people. Well, maybe what we need to do with those people is wake up to the need of their cause. And allow God to do that. You understand what I'm saying? That's what had to happen to me. Sometimes that's what has to happen to us. And David was awakened to the need of the cause. There was no volunteers. Secondly, David accepted the cause. He surrendered to the cause. None of the soldiers in the army would do anything about it. So David decides, I just... I'm a shepherd boy. 
I may not have had the training that these other men have had. I may not have the attire of a soldier, but the battle is the Lord's. He just needs someone to fight. So David stepped up and he accepted the cause. He surrendered to it. See, he didn't just commit himself, because, you know, we can commit ourselves, but in the end, when we commit ourselves, we're still in charge. We can still decide to do it or not. But when we surrender, we put Christ in charge. And that makes all the difference. We, in turn, must accept the cause. We must surrender to it. Yes, we need to be awakened to the need, but once we're awakened to the need, we have to understand that God has our part in the battle. We must surrender to do our part. First, or John 4.35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, are ready to harvest. This morning... As you watched the video, we talked about the ministry that we have in Congo. When we started, and when that ministry got started in August of 2008, it was really when the beginning of this ministry started. In August of 2008, we were still recovering from that election violence. Um, the violence was over. Uh, people were still being fed in the displacement camps. People were slowly returning to the church. We are trying to pick up the pieces. And I received a phone call in Kenya. And the person calling me claimed to be a pastor from Quebec, Canada. He said he wanted to talk to me. I didn't know anybody in Quebec, Canada. I mean, how to get my number? And he said, Brother Mickey, he said, you know, we're planning a missions trip to Congo. And uh, he said, we'd like you to come with us. I'm like, a missions trip to Congo? I mean, <laughs> man, I don't want to go to Congo. I mean, what are you talking about? I thought this guy was some Nigerian scammer, you know, trying to, you know, has this scheme. I'm, I just brushed him off and basically hung up the phone on him. Thinking, somebody from Quebec, Canada, claiming to be a pastor, wants me to go with him to Congo. That's ridiculous. And uh, went about my business, and uh, I think I mentioned something to my wife about it, about the strange phone call I got. Well, two days later, I got a phone call from the same number. It was the same man claiming to be a pastor trying to talk to me about going to Congo. And I'm like, man, man, I don't know who you are. He says, well, wait, just give me a moment. He, was, he said, I just spoke with your pastor and said the name of my pastor. And he said, it's okay to call you. And when he said that, I'm like, okay, well, maybe I need to listen a little bit. All right. You know, this is a, if it's a Nigerian scammer, he's got some good details here. So <laughs> he he says, brother, listen, he goes, we know what you went through in Kenya. He goes, I want you to know our church had been praying for you. He said, we are translating your letters from English into French and reading it to our people. Our people are praying for you. He says, just, just listen to what I say. He goes, we have some Congolese refugees in our church. He said, and a number of them have been saved. He said, and they desire to go, for somebody to go into Congo and preach to their relatives about the change in their life. And our, our church has got so burdened about it, and we've decided to do it. And we want to take this trip, but we don't know anything about Africa. And, and we've been praying for you and, and what's going on there. And our people said, hey, maybe you need to contact that missionary we've been praying for. He knows about Africa. Maybe he'll go and help guide on this trip. I'm like, man, brother, man, that's nice. But I, don't, I got too much going on. I'm too busy. I said, and, and Congo? I don't know anything about Congo. And he goes, oh, brother. He said, we'll even pay your way. All right, now I'm a missionary, all right? And, and uh, when he said that... All right, I thought, okay. He said, and we'll even give you a love offering. <laughs> he had me there, hooked, all right? <laughs> and so he, he's talking, and I'm like, man, I don't know, but he, after some time and persistence and over several days and weeks of communication, I agreed to go. And uh, before we went to Congo, they came, he came to Kenya along with a pastor from Connecticut, and to visit Kenya for a few days, and then we traveled over to Congo together. We got the border of Congo and Burundi, and we crossed the border in the Congo. I don't know how to explain it, except to say that I felt an oppression 
that I have never felt in my life in Kenya. Even when we went through that election violence. I mean, it was so bad, it was like Satan was saying, this is my territory, and I'm not planning to give it up. That oppression was so bad that that pastor from Quebec and the pastor from Connecticut, when we're in Congo, every night they refuse to sleep in Congo. Every night we cross the border back into Burundi to sleep. That's how bad that oppression was. Well, we went over there and we met some of the relatives of those who had been saved. And uh, uh, one of the Congolese from Quebec had accompanied and had some meetings. And halfway through that trip, that pastor from Quebec, Canada, Marty Stevens, his name is, he said, brother, he said, we need to talk. He said, listen, he said... I appreciate you coming, and, and we did need your help and, and, and to guide us because we don't know anything about Africa. He says, but I'll be honest with you. I didn't tell you everything. And I'm like, oh, man, there goes my love offering. <laughs> he was a Nigerian scammer. <laughs> he said, I didn't tell you everything. He said, listen, he said, we believe that a church needs to be started here. And... Uh, we think that you people are the ones to do it. He said, how can we start a church from Quebec here in Africa? I mean, we can't do that. Somebody closer by needs to do it. We think you guys need to do it. I looked at him, and I laughed. I said, oh, really? That's really easy for you to say. You won't even sleep here. I said, brother, you see in those hillsides right there, you see those rebel soldiers still camped up there? I said, so you want us to come here to a place that you won't even sleep? And start a church, and somebody's going to get hurt, somebody's going to get killed, and you want that on my conscience? I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. Well, he said, man, brother, he said, won't you at least pray about it? And to my shame, this was my answer to him. I said, pastor, sometimes you know the answer to a prayer before you pray. And this is one of those times. He just put his head down in amazement and walked away. That night, we crossed in Burundi to the hotel to sleep. And as I went to go to bed that night, sleep would not come. Now, I normally do not have problems sleeping. I've slept in some unique places in Africa. But I could not sleep that night. As I tried to sleep, those words that I said to that pastor were ringing in my ear. Sometimes you know the answer to a prayer even before you pray. The Holy Spirit began to work on me. It was like Jacob wrestling with an angel of the Lord. And God began to remind me of what we had just gone through in Kenya. And the Holy Spirit began to say, Son, don't you have any idea why I let you people go through what you went through? Did I not protect you? Did any of your people die? Haven't I fed everybody? Haven't I taken care of everybody? What do you mean you know the answer to a prayer before you pray? Finally, as the night was breaking in the dawn, I said, okay, God. If you want us to. So that next morning, I went to that pastor and I said, listen, when we get back to Kenya, We'll talk. You know what I had to do? I had to accept something that I didn't want to accept. I, I saw the need. Oh, believe me, I saw it. I was awakened to it. But there needed to be more than that. I had to accept it. And I did. And now there are churches that have been started throughout the Congo region, the Burundi region, and God has done amazing things. And I want to tell you, church, this evening, you have to accept that cause because it's a real cause. Thirdly, David, we find David advancing the cause. He was awakened to it. He saw the need. He surrendered to it. Now he did something about it. Notice 
first of all, that his performance was for God. What he did, he did not for himself. Not to build a name for himself, but he did it for God. 1 Samuel 17, 26, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 29, David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Verse 36, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Not only was his performance for God, but he understood the power to do this had to come from God. Verse 45 to 47 in chapter 17, Then said David to the Philistines, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, and the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, he will give you into our hands. Not only did David understand that his performance was for God and his power was from God, but he understood in the end anything that was going to be done and had been done, the praise belonged to God. 2 Samuel 22, verse 48. It is God that avengeth me and bringeth down the people under me, and that bringeth me forth from mine enemies. Thou hast lifted me up on high above them that rose up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen. I will sing praises unto thy name. Just as David advanced the cause, we must do so also. Listen, it's great to be awakened to it. We need to be. And it's great to surrender to it. We need to do that. But we also need to perform it. We need to advance it. Do something about it. In doing that, understand that we, what we do, we perform for God, not for man. It's all about God. You know, I wish I could stand here before you and say that what has kept us in Africa for 23 years is because of the love that we have for the people. But that wouldn't be true. Uh, we do love the people, and I love where I live, I'm living, and I, I wouldn't want to do anything else in my life. But sometimes it's hard to love people who don't love you back. Sometimes it's hard to love in the midst of problems. Sometimes it's hard to love in the midst of the muck and mire of this world. If you perform, if what you do is for the love of the certain thing that you're doing, some, at some point you will stop. See, our, our motive is not that. Our motive is the fact we do it because of the love we have for God. See, when we do it because of our love for God, then when people aren't so lovely, we'll keep doing it. Because it's never about the love for the people. It's about our love for God. And if our love for God is right, a love for what we're doing and for the people obviously is going to come. Back in 1910, Teddy Roosevelt took one of his big game hunting trips to Africa. When he would take these big gun, these big game hunting trips, uh, it was the area of Kenya, East Africa, that he would go to. I've been to the, some of the places, the hunting lodges, and the places where he had been and hunted. At this time that he was on this trip, there was also a missionary that had been living in Africa, in that part of Africa, serving. And He had served a number of years. He had buried children. He had buried his wife there. He had been broken and battered and diseased. and He didn't have much life left, and so he was making the trip back to the U.S., literally to to live his last days and die. And as he got on that boat and in his sickened condition and made the, the journey back into New York Harbor, uh, staying just in his chamber because of his weakened condition, he did not know that on that boat accompanied with him was President Teddy Roosevelt, returning from one of his big game hunting trips. 
As they sailed into New York Harbor and word went across that boat that they had arrived, he left his chambers to walk out to get off the boat. And when he walked up onto the boat, he looked across that harbor and the shore and he saw a multitude of people, big bands playing and singing and cheering and shouting. And He thought, oh my, this is for me? You mean what I have done and the sacrifice I have made has not gone unnoticed? People do appreciate. These were the kind of thoughts that he was having. And all of a sudden there was a jostling around him, looked around, and here comes President Teddy Roosevelt and his entourage. And they leave that boat and go onto the shore and After he passes by the crowd, the president does, then everybody leaves, the bands go, the signs fall. And this old missionary returning, still standing on the boat looking out, and there's now not one person waiting for him. Not one. Not a distant relative. Not anybody from his church. Not one person. He shuffled off the boat and went and found a guest house, a room to spend the night. And as he's laying in bed, he's fighting his thoughts and speaking to God and said, God, nobody cares. I buried my wife. I buried my children. I have given everything. and I've come home and nobody cares. The Holy Spirit whispered to him and said, son, You just remember, you're not home yet. You see, we don't serve for the applause of men. We don't serve. Listen, you don't serve so your pastor can stand up and say, you're doing a good job. Now, he may do that, and that's good. But see, that's not our motivation. Because this world is not our. And we need to remember that our motivation is our love for God. We also need to remember that our power is from God. God promises you when we step out by faith. In His name, He will empower us to do His work. We see this example in story after story in the Bible. Men, sinful men, with the same weaknesses of flesh that you have and that I have, empowered by God to advance His cause. We might sit back and think, man, I can't do. I'm not qualified. I have this problem. I have that problem. Yeah, you might. But have you read the Bible? Because when I read the Bible, I read about some men and women who had a whole lot of problems. Some of them problems that I hope I never have in my life. But God still used them and empowered them. Oh, listen, I'm not saying that as an excuse for sin because every one of those men paid for their sin and everyone confessed, made it right. But God used them and empowered them. God will do the same to you if you allow him. We were in Congo. We'd started that first church in Uvira. We had branched out from there and we'd gone into some other areas and we were working with a small group of people in the village of Sibele. It was about... 10 hours away from Uvira where we'd started the church. And we'd travel there by vehicle down a road. Well, they call it a road, but it's not really a road. All right. Uh, and by that, I, I, I mean it's just basically a path. And you get whatever vehicle you can. Sometimes it's the back of a truck, and sometimes it's a van-type vehicle where they squeeze you in. And, and you, you make this trip down to this village, and you want to get to this village before nightfall because this village is in rebel territory. Now, the rebels are not always active. A lot of times they're back in the forest, but you never know when they come out. You just don't want to be there, and at night it's not a good time to travel. So you always try to get there by, during daylight, and you always find out ahead of time whether the rebels are active or not. We're making a trip to go to this church that had been started. I'm myself along with Pastor Olo, and we received word that it's safe to make the trip, so we started out early in the morning. We were squeezed in this van-type vehicle. And... Uh, a couple hours into the trip, we got a flat tire. 
So we got out of the vehicle while they're changing the tire, and I looked as they put on the spare tire, and I saw the spare tire. It wasn't a whole lot worse shape than that flat tire that got flat. I thought, man, I'm not sure about this. And sure enough, another hour down the road, it goes flat. Now understand, we're out in the middle of the bush, okay? There's nothing there. I mean, there's no electricity. There's no people. There's no gas stations, okay, anywhere. I mean, the way people bought gas is gas was be put in, 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 in bottles, two-liter bottles, and you'd buy them alongside the road, all right? There's no gas, no power, nothing. How are we going to change this flat tire? So what they did was they had a bicycle pump, and they put that bicycle pump to that tire, the first tire that went flat, and they'd pump it up by hand. And they'd quickly put it on, and they'd drive down the road for about 30 minutes till it went flat again. And they'd stop and pump it back up, and we'd continued on this journey like this for hours and hours and hours. So now we get to where we were going to go, uh, uh, and it's dark. It's night. And we reach the place um, called Baraka. It's, it's more of a, a bigger town. And to get to the village we were going to, there's no way you could get there with a vehicle. You had to use a motorbike. And it was already dark, and we weren't even sure if we could get a motorbike at this late hour, but sure enough, we could. So we jumped on these motorbikes, and we go off into the bush to get back to this village where we're supposed to be. And we finally arrive probably around midnight. So we are six hours late. We got off the motorbike. As the motorbikes are turning around, the headlights of the motorbike go off into the ditch in the side, and when the headlights go off in the ditch in the side, uh, uh, up from that ditch jump eight rebel soldiers. They jumped out of that ditch, and they looked at me, and they looked at Pastor Lo, and they pointed their guns at us, and they asked us very quickly in Swahili, what were we doing in their land? And how dare we come into their territory? Well, obviously, um, I was concerned. Uh, these rebel soldiers, they're known as Mai Mai rebels, M-A-I, M-A-I. You can Google them and look them up, but they can be very ruthless at times. It's not unheard of them to take people who look like me. I see. Understand, I stood out. <laughs> All right? I was probably the only white man that had been in that area for generations. And uh, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were talking to us. It was hard for me to follow them. They're speaking Swahili so fast, uh, and, and it was just, you know, just going through my brain and, and at about that time, the pastor of that local village church that we were working with showed up, and he's arguing with these rebel soldiers, and then he finally looks at us and said, they've agreed to allow you to go to my house. So we marched for about 30 minutes up the hillside to where this pastor lived, and on, on one side of me, on both sides of me, uh, I had rebel soldiers walking with their guns trained on me. I mean, they thought I was going to try to run into the bush or something. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, the thought never entered my mind. <laughs> And uh, we reached the pastor's house. It was a typical village African house, a mud house, grass roof, small room in the middle and a small bedroom. And we went inside, and Pastor Lowe and I were sharing the small bedroom, and we prepared ourselves for sleep, and they set some guards outside the pastor's house. So we thought, okay, we did not know what the next day was going to entail for us. And early in the morning, we woke up. And uh, I woke up to some noise, some chanting, some singing, and uh, singing like I had not heard before. I looked out the little window, and here was this regiment of rebel soldiers doing their morning exercises. They're marching and their things with their guns, and they're singing their rebel songs. It was just a, really a fascinating thing to see. I was tempted for just a moment to try to take a picture, but that temptation left me real fast because... They didn't want to get caught. After a little while, the pastor came in the house and said he had talked to the people and to the soldiers, and they agreed that we could, could, we could have our meetings that we had planned that morning, teaching, training meetings, but they had to have somebody present to listen to what was being said. So that morning, we met in a little, little, little church building, grass roof, to tiny, and, and uh, sure enough, they had somebody in there listening, and we, went, we, we did our teaching all morning. Uh, into the early afternoon, and early afternoon we had planned a, a preaching, an outdoor preaching crusade. 
Um, we, we might call it street preaching, but it's village preaching. And, and you'd invite the whole village and it'd be done outside. And we had that planned. And uh, we were sitting around by the pastor's house waiting for that to happen and uh, that meeting. And uh, again, not knowing what's going to happen with these rebel soldiers. They're all around. They're keeping guard. They're watching. And Pastor Lord, co-pastor of the church in Kenya, um, the one that you saw in the video this morning, the one that they're trying to kill, uh, he looked at me, or, or he looked at the pastor, the local pastor. He said, Pastor Omari, his name was. Pastor Omari, he said, would you go and ask that soldier if he would allow us to go see his commander? I looked at Pastor Lowe. I said, what are you doing? I said, I don't want that guy to see me. I said, as a matter of fact, I want to disappear. <laughs> if I had some charcoal, I would Rub it all over my face. So I said, I, I mean, I, I want him out of my mind. Him, I need to be out of his mind. <laughs> he said, Pastor Mickey, he, he kind of laughed. He said, you know, we would not be here if we knew the rebels were active. And we would not have done this, but God allowed us to come. God knew. So maybe God's trying to do something that we don't know. So maybe we ought to find out what it is. I shook my head and I thought to myself, who trained this guy? <laughs> Whoever that was. <laughs> and I went, all right. So they talked and 30 minutes later, word came, the rebel commander has agreed to see you. So we went up to where he was. He, they had taken a, an area up overside the hill and they had barricaded it and built a fence, a wall around. And We walked in and they searched us before we went in and when we walked into their compound, Again, off to the right, these rebel soldiers are doing all of their maneuvers and their chants. And their, again, it was just an amazing thing to see. And over here under a tree sat this small man. He was the rebel commander. He had two people on the side of him waving, fanning him. We walked up to him and we introduced ourselves. We were told, don't take much of his time. He had his bodyguards there and we introduced ourselves and briefly mentioned where we were from and what we were doing. And as we turned to leave, Pastor Lowe reached in his pocket and took out a gospel track and turned around and he handed it to him. He said, sir, would you just take a moment to read this? He said, and also, we're going to do a preaching meeting just down over the hill here in just about an hour. He said, would you come and be our invited guest? We turned and walked away. Went back down, waiting for this meeting to take place. The village is gathering and they start singing. And as they're singing, and, and African people like to sing. Okay, they really do. And, but you, you heard them singing, but all of a sudden, the volume decreased greatly. So you, it was a notice. I looked up, and people are still singing, but now their gaze is off in this direction. I look over at what they're looking at, and they're looking at this rebel commander who's walking down from his compound slowly with his bodyguards, and as he gets closer, it's obvious that he had changed clothes and he had bathed. And he came and he sat right in front to this preaching meeting that we're going to have. Now, I was supposed to be preaching. And when I looked at that rebel commander sitting there, I opened my notes and I started going through my notes. And I'm looking to cross some things out and think, what am I not going to say that I was planning to say? Because the last thing I wanted to do was offend this guy. Literally, understand, this guy had the, had, the, had, the, had the authority to, all right? And so as I'm, as I'm doing that, and I'm looking through my notes, literally, I'm looking through, I'm thinking, okay, what am I preaching? The Holy Spirit just starts saying, hey, wait a minute. I knew that man was going to be here. When you put on that paper what you're going to say, you just go ahead and preach what you're going to preach. I was preaching from the book of Romans, chapter 1, on the power of the gospel. The power that the gospel has to change lives. So I stood up and I started preaching. And when I started preaching, again, something I'd never seen before. We were facing Lake Tanganyika. Lake Tanganyika is a very large lake, a long lake. It's actually the second largest freshwater lake in the world because it's such a deep lake also. And we're overlooking literally Lake Tanganyika on a hillside, and as I'm preaching facing the lake, I saw storm clouds arise on that lake that had not been there just a few moments before. And as I'm preaching, I'm watching a storm coming on that lake. 
I mean lightning flashes and dark clouds rolling towards us. And remember, we're outside. We're not in the building. And so I'm watching this happen, and a thought crosses my mind that there's a battle going on somewhere here that is unseen to human eyes. And I'm watching that storm rush towards me and thinking I've got to rush through this sermon. And, 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 and literally, 10 minutes into the sermon, it started raining, sprinkling a little bit. And you could see the heavy rain coming. And, but as it started sprinkling, nobody left. They stayed there. So I kept preaching. And after a few moments, the drops get a little harder. And I knew I had to hurry through and finish the sermon. And in about 20 minutes, I was finished. I was given the invitation. And when we're in situations like this in Africa, understand, we don't necessarily give invitations like we do over here. Um, not that the gospel is hard, don't misunderstand me. But we don't say, hey, if you want to go to heaven, raise your hand and say these words. Okay? We, we don't do that. We, there's a reason why. This was my invitation this day. I said to those people, I said, listen, if you are listening, and you want the gospel of Jesus Christ to change you from what you are, I want you to leave where you are, and you come and stand by me. And when you stand by me, you need to understand what you're saying. You're saying to everybody who is here that you're a dirty, filthy, rotten sinner. That there is nothing in you that is good. That you are damned and doomed to hell, and it is only Jesus Christ who is your hope. You need That is what you're saying if you come and stand by me. When I said those words, that rebel soldier got up, that commander, and he came and stood by me. Another gentleman came, and we closed the invitation. And Pastor Olo took that rebel commander into the pastor's house, and they were in there for about an hour. And when they came out, Pastor Lowe said, I want to introduce to you our newest brother in Christ. And that rebel commander got saved. He had dinner with us that night. He told us his story of how he became a rebel soldier and why. And he said to us, he said, as long as I'm here, you are free to come and go as you please. And he was true to his word. That's the power of God. That's not me. That's not pastoral law. That is God saying, all I need is a volunteer. All I need is somebody who'll stand up and say, okay, God, you need it to be done. I, I, I'm not worthy there's nothing special about me, and I've got a lot of frailties and a lot of faults. <laughs> but God, you need somebody, I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer. God will do the same for you. He must, because that's what he says in his word. And then in closing, in the end, our praise is to God. Don't ever forget who, who you are. A sinner... Saved by grace. An unworthy servant whom God has chosen to use. And whatever God does with your life, whatever God does through us, all glory and praise belongs to Him. We may not totally understand that today. We should. But sometimes we may not. But someday we will. Because the Bible says when we're in heaven... And God passes out some crowns, some awards. Do you know what we're going to do? Because we understand then, truly, it's all about Him. We'll throw Him at His feet. We will realize that we're so unworthy even to accept them that we'll give them back to Him. Because all praise and all glory and all honor does belong. David said that question, is there not a cause? Don't you understand the reason to act? Don't you have motivation to act? And that motivation was simply that the world may know 
that there's a God in Israel. Don't we have a motivation today? Don't we have a reason today to act? And that reason is simple, to let the world know that Jesus Christ lives. David asked that question. That wasn't really a question, but a statement. Is there not a cause? And I leave you this evening with that same statement, that same question. Is there not a cause? Bow our heads in prayer. Stand at our seat, please, as we pray. Everybody standing. Father in heaven, what a great story this is. How David defeated that that giant Goliath. Or, but David did it for the right reason. David didn't do it because of pride for a nation. David did it for you. So that the world may know who you are. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have the right motivation in life. Lord, help us to understand what life is about. And life is about letting this world know that you have provided the sacrifice for our sins. Father, if you've spoken to our hearts this evening, may we take a few moments to speak to you about it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As the piano plays and as we have a time of invitation, if you need to seek God in prayer, whether you come to the altar or you do it there in your seat, may you do so.